0: Well, even though we're studying the book of Philippians, I want to do something a little bit different this morning. And I want to begin by going back to the book of Exodus. You know, we talk a lot about the story of the Exodus as a church because that story is so foundational to the larger story of the Bible. Some context about this story, the people of God having come to Egypt to escape famine and death are now held captive by Egypt they are oppressed in slavery and they're forced to engage in some very very hard labor they begin to cry out to the god of their fathers so they don't even really know yet not fully he hasn't fully revealed himself to them but they begin to cry out to him in desperation. Maybe he can do something about the oppression that they are experiencing. Maybe he could deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians. And boy, does he ever. He raises up this guy named Moses and his brother Aaron, whom he uniquely situated. In Egypt, to be able to get the ear of Pharaoh, to come before Pharaoh and demand the release of God's people. And when Pharaoh resists, God sends plague after plague after plague, directly challenging the deities of Egypt to show God's superior strength in Egypt's futility and resisting the desire and will of Almighty God. Ultimately, after all of these miraculous plagues, Pharaoh does agree to let the people of God leave, and they do. But it wasn't long after they left the city gates that Pharaoh begins to regret letting them go. How are they going to be able to build all these incredible things? Who's going to serve them? And despite losing his firstborn son, Pharaoh decides to go after these Israelite people again, sending his army to retake them and bring them back into Egypt. And in one of the most stunning displays of God's power in the Bible, God miraculously delivers this people from the impending threat of the Egyptian army by parting the Red Sea moving apart waters and letting his people walk through on dry ground. And after they crossed, the Egyptian armies go in after them, and God removes the threat by letting the waters enclose on them. Now I want you to think about what the people of God have just witnessed as they stand on the other side of that sea. I want you to think about the miraculous salvation that they have just beheld, the incredible answer to their prayer that God orchestrated in a way that only he could. Certainly, this should have been a life-changing moment. They were free as they had prayed to God, set us free from this bondage. Now they are free. So what would their response be to this God who rescued them? You'd think it'd be one of loyalty, right? You'd think they would be eternally grateful to God. And if you think that, you'd be wrong. Because they were not. Look with me at Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 to 12. And remember, chapter 16 is just two chapters after the Red Sea moment. And one chapter after Moses pins a song of praise. For God delivering this people. The next thing we encounter, chapter 16. Here's what the Word of God says. They sent out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled, grumbled, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. That's a big change. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat, in the morning you shall be filled with bread, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Anybody hear a common thread And that passage of Scripture? It's interesting that these people who had just witness the miraculous salvation of God are not consumed with gratitude, but rather are consumed with grumbling. And immediately we notice something about this people that God had called to himself, this God, this people that God had been forming since his covenant with Abraham when he promised to make a nation that through all other nations, the world, or through that nation, all other nations would be blessed. In spite of everything that God had done for them, this people, in spite of everything that God had done on their behalf, and this is true throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, in spite of the covenant that God made with them, there was something deep within them that would not allow them to be the kind of people that God desired them to be. There was something deep within them that would not allow them to be the set-apart people that God had desired them to be. You see, that was God's intention, that they would be a light to a world in darkness, that blessing would come from them, that, that they would show forth to the rest of the world the blessing that could come from only worshiping the one true God. But the people of God continuously failed in this task. More often than not, they desired to be like everyone else rather than inspiring everyone else to be like them. They saw the other nations' idolatry as better than faithfulness to this God who had delivered them. And here's why. Because although God had set them free from Egyptian bondage, there was still a deeper bondage in their heart. They might not have been slaves to Egypt any longer, but they were still slaves to sin. And every demand that God placed upon them, demand of obedience, demand of holiness, led to a weight that they could not bear on their own. And so instead of gratitude, they grumbled, and their light grew dim. You see, a greater salvation was needed. A greater work of deliverance was needed. That wasn't just an outward act of deliverance, but an inward act of deliverance that would change their hearts. And praise the Lord. As we saw last week, Philippians 2, 5 through 11... God gave us that work in the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us today, in our next passage, Philippians 2, 12 to 18, that because of the work of Christ, we can now be this people that God has always desired to bring to himself. We can now be this set-apart people, a people who are light to a dark World, we can be the people of God, transformed by the work of Christ for the work of the gospel. It's possible now for us to be this set apart people. So let's read the challenge the Philippian church that Paul's offer that Paul offers in Philippians two, verses twelve to eighteen. <clears throat> so the Word of God says, "Therefore, my beloved." and rejoice with me. Now, as we read this passage, we are called by Paul to notice a distinct contrast between the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God, the people of God on the other side of the work of Christ. And the Old Testament, God's people walked in rebellion when they thought he was not near. But this people are different. They're not just seeking to please man. They're even more obedient to God when Paul is not there than when he is there. In the Old Testament, God's people grumbled, as we saw in Exodus 16. And Paul wants us to make this connection here. And the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Bible, the word grumbled there that we see in Philippians 2 is mentioned eight times in the Bible. Seven of them are in the story of the Exodus. And so Paul wants you to see that there's something different happening in in the Philippian church that is different than the Old Testament people of God. They were characterized by grumbling. They were characterized by fighting. The Old Testament people of God were often the very crooked and twisted generation that God was trying to prevent from being present on the earth. But that was not true of the Philippian church. Something different has happened among them because of the work of Christ. Because of the better salvation that Jesus has offered, the people of God are now able to be the lights that God has called them to. As the church, friends, we are a new people. We have been given new hearts to be about this work of the gospel. And Paul is exhorting them, encouraging them to continue. To continue in obedience. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Continue to be these lights to a dark world. Darkness is enclosing on us. It's coming against us, but you stand firm. You shine brightly because the gospel is worth it. So Paul starts this passage with a command. He says to them in verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now that sounds maybe a little confusing to some of us. Work out your salvation. But Jared, I thought God had already saved them. So what does he mean here that they need to work out their own salvation? Are they participating in their salvation here or is something else happening? Well, you're right in your understanding that God had already saved them. And we already see evidence of their salvation in our passage. Again, They were being obedient, not just to please Paul. They were being obedient to please the Lord. As opposed to the Old Testament people of God, this people were obedient in Paul's absence, not just in his presence. And that's unnatural. Jordan and I see this in our son, Jude. And we've been trying to teach him a lot of things lately, and one of those things is to not lie. And so, um, you know, we'll ask him about certain things at school. Like for instance, did you, have a, did you have something sweet today? Because he wants something sweet when he gets home. And he'll say, no, daddy, I didn't have anything sweet at school today. And I said, well, that's interesting because my teacher told, your teacher told me that you did have something sweet today. Or I know that you had something sweet today. And he's like, dad, how did you know? How did you, how did you find out? And I said, son, I know everything. In that moment, he's caught. And there are things like that where we ask him, hey, why did you do that? How did you see me, Dad? What, how did you know that I, I did that? He thinks if I don't see him or if I don't know it, it's not that big of a deal. He's willing to be obedient as long as I see him. He's willing to be obedient as long as I know. But if it's outside of my view, it's outside of my knowledge, he doesn't think it matters. And that's the way the Old Testament people of God were. They were obedient... When they knew God was directly looking at them, but oftentimes they would forget that he's everywhere. He knows all things. And they would begin to be disobedient. People are not like that. They're already showing evidence of their salvation by being obedient, even when Paul is absent. They're not seeking just to please Paul. They are truly seeking to please God. And so what Paul is saying here is that they need to to work outwardly what God is already working inwardly. That's what he means there. To work out your salvation, God is already doing something in you. At the moment of your salvation, you got a new heart. The Holy Spirit of God took up residence in you. And now your outside needs to look like your inside. You got to bring out what God has brought within. Show some fruits of this work that God is showing within you. He's not saying that you need to add effort to your salvation. He's saying that you must strive and show effort to evidence your salvation. Now, there is work here. This, this word, work out, means exertion. It means striving. We are seeking to, to conform to Christ. We are seeking to, to do things that honor the Lord. We're seeking to remove the things in our life that do not honor the Lord. There is intentional effort and work on our part. That we need to exhibit as the people of God. And we need to do it, according to Paul, with fear and trembling. We exhibit this effort. We exhibit this work to honor the Lord. We, we bring outward what God is doing inward because we know what it cost us. Or we know what it costs the Lord and what it could cost us. If we don't walk in accordance. If we don't hate sin the way that God hates sin. We think about the example of Christ. We think about the reality that that our rebellion, our sinfulness, that caused the separation between us and God, cost Jesus his life. That he left the glory of heaven, took on human flesh, and was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. We see the cost. We know that if we continued in that sin, it would lead us into rebellion. It cost Christ everything. It could cost us everything. And so now we recognize because of what God has done for us, we need to reject those things. And we're going to push forward working out our salvation, allowing what God has spoken inwardly over us to become a reality outside as well. There's an expectation of obedience. But in that command, Paul immediately follows up with the gospel reminder. Because every time we hear this expectation that we have a responsibility to to do something, to make an effort in our spiritual walk with Christ, Paul always wants to make sure that we don't get the cart before the horse. That we don't return to a flawed understanding of how all of this is Possible. It's very important for us to remember that the only reason that we can work out our salvation is because God is working within us. And so he says in verse 13, do all these things because for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You can do this work. You can evidence transformation because guess what? God has transformed you. He's given you a new heart. He's done a new work in you that allows you to be different, to look different, to act differently. There's a work happening in you right now that allows you to work out your salvation, a work in you that allows you to work outward. And there's two aspects of this work, according to verse 13. God works in you both to will And to work for his good pleasure. So there's no question here that outward obedience matters. So God is working to transform your work. God is working to transform your behavior, but he's also doing something else. He's working to transform your will. Obedience certainly is expected, but God wants more than that. He doesn't just want your behavior. He wants your desires. He's working to transform your your actions and your desires because God cares about your heart. God cares about what you ultimately love, what, what drives your obedience to him. And this is the difference in the salvation that he has brought about in Christ. We just don't have the expectation of obedience. We have the desire to be obedient because of the love that we have for God. And this matters to God. I think about my marriage to Jordan. So several years ago, we got married. And that day when we got married, my life changed forever. I was a different person. I'm no longer single. I can't look at other women the same way anymore. I can't pursue other women the way I may have pursued them before I married Jordan. There's something different about our relationship. And I made that commitment before God and a whole bunch of witnesses. And so today I'm still in that covenant. I'm still in that commitment. And my guess is it matters to Jordan why I don't do those things. That I don't look at other women. I don't pursue other women. I don't love other women. I don't give them, you know, chocolates or flowers. I don't, you know, speak and and send them, you know, nice little text messages. I don't do that to other women because of my commitment to her. My guess is she wouldn't want me not to do those things just because I have to. My guess is in her heart, she desires that I want to because my love for her is greater than any other person. And if that's true in an earthly relationship, how much more true is that supposed to be with us and the Lord? That we don't do these things just because we have to, but we do these things because we have a transformed heart because of how we've seen God love us in Christ that makes us want to evidence our love for him in our behavior. You've heard me say this before, and I firmly believe it's true, that 95% 95 of our problems as believers, of our struggles with sin, as we, we seek to work out our salvation, they have nothing to do with our knowledge of sin and everything to do with our desire for sin. I firmly believe that because it's not that we don't know something is wrong. If you If you have the Holy Spirit of God within you because of salvation, the Holy Spirit lets you know when something's wrong, right? Like when you're backing up in your car and that beep starts going off when something's coming behind you. Like there's a sense that the Holy Spirit gives to you that, hey, listen, this is not good. This is not honor of the Lord. This is not reflecting an ultimate love for the Lord. So if you have the Holy Spirit of God within you, I know that happens anytime an opportunity for sin comes your way. What does happen, though, is that we ignore the warning of the Holy Spirit because we desire that thing that dishonors the Lord more than we desire to honor the Lord. In that moment, here's what I'm saying. I love me more than I love God. And I want what pleases me more than I want what pleases God. That's not an issue of action, friends, as much as it's an an issue of desire. Now, the action matters. The action has consequence. If you look at something online that you know you shouldn't, if you say something about someone that you know you shouldn't, if you lie, if you steal, all those things have consequences. But the deeper issue is a heart that does not love the Lord more than it loves those things. And we have to be honest with ourselves. It's a warning. If there are are things in your life, if there are habitual sins, patterns of sin in your life, that you have constantly chosen to indulge more than resist for the glory of God, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Now, it could be that you have just dulled the voice of the Holy Spirit because you've chosen to reject His warnings over and over again. You need to repent this morning. But it could also be because you're like the people of God in the Old Testament and not the people of God in the New Testament. It could be that you don't have a transformed heart because you've never had a moment of salvation. Here's the reality, guys. I know that in this room, there are people who are more religious than truly Christian. And I know that because I grew up in the church. And many of you probably in here grew up in the church as well. And it's very easy growing up in the church to learn the behavior of the church to learn the expectation of the church and how you're supposed to act when you come and you're around the people of God. I, I did that. I, I knew what I was supposed to look like. I knew what I was supposed to dress like. I knew what I was supposed to say when I was around the people of the church. But here's what I also know, that Monday through Saturday, there was a whole bunch of my life that didn't line up with the person I was presenting on Sunday. I was the chief of hypocrites, And even though on Sunday I looked religious, and even though there were elements of my life that looked like I was a Christian, there was no transformed heart in me pushing me toward greater Christ-likeness. I wanted to please people. I wanted to please my parents. I did not want to please the Lord. Something had to change. I had to have a radical transformation where I recognized the salvation that God offered me in Christ and I repented of my sin and believed and he put a new heart within me so that I would not just desire to be approved by man, but I would desire the approval of God that would only be found in Christ. Now, I don't want to stir up confusion here, or even ungodly fear. But what I am saying is the Bible makes it clear that if you have truly been transformed by the gospel, eventually your life will look like it. It's got to show up somewhere. You, You cannot have beheld the love of God for you in Christ the way the Bible talks about the love of God being unfolded for you in Jesus and still love the things of this world forever. It's impossible to be captivated from God, by God in a moment of salvation, and forgets, ultimately, forever, that love. Eventually, repentance will take place. Otherwise, there may be a deeper issue. maybe a deeper issue it's impossible to be a part of this new people and yet continually look like you're a part of the old people of God. It doesn't mean that you won't have moments, even if it's part of the new people of God where you kind of stumble back in, but ultimately, is there a desire to work out what God is working in you? If not, you have to ask the question if God is working at all that there's something missing. And then Paul revisits the example of the Old Testament people to kind of give some evidence, to to ask some questions of you. How do I know? Well, are you a grumbler? Or are you grateful? Are you a fighter, a divider, or are you a uniter? Do you strive for blamelessness to be approved by God or do you strive to be approved by man? Are you trying to become more like Jesus or are you trying to become more like the world? Are you holding fast to the word of life or are you holding fast to something else? Only you know. We can know some. We can see the fruits, some. Only you know where you sit in that comparison between the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God. But here is the truth. If you are grateful, if you are a uniter in Christ, if you are walking in blamelessness, if you are trying to become more like Jesus, if you are holding fast to the Word of God that reveals for us what it is to be like Christ, you are only doing that because God is doing something within you first. And we praise the Lord for that. We could not do it on our own. And if you are striving to do that on your own, eventually you will break. You can't. It'll come out as it did in the Old Testament. But if you are in Christ, then you do have a new heart that allows you to be the light that God has called you to be. When you walk in this way as a part of the New Testament people of God, you will shine. And that's the point. Not just for us pleasing the Lord, which is obviously very important, but because through our collective obedience, through our collective devotion to the Lord, we become a beacon of light to a world in darkness, as we evidence the blessing that can only be found in walking in faithfulness to the one true God. Church, let me just declare this over you. It's an important thing for us to remain committed to as the people of God here at First Baptist Church of Irving. God's people are most attractive not when they look more like the world. We are most attractive to the world when we look radically different from the world. We are most attractive. We are functioning most in the design that God has designed us with when we are set apart. The world does not need us to be familiar. It needs us to be different. And that's a challenging thing for us as the American church. There are a lot of churches that try to diminish the difference between those of us who are in Christ and those of us who are out of, outside of Christ, who try to diminish the uncomfortableness of the gospel. But friends, the gospel is uncomfortable, right? We're sinners. We've been been pursuing things that will ultimately lead to our eternal separation from a holy and righteous God. The things that we desire for ourselves are ultimately lies. That's uncomfortable. At the very same time that the gospel is enormously comforting. Because in the midst of that discomfort, we recognize that God has made a way. But there was no way before that that there is hope in the midst of our hopelessness and is turning away from the things of this world and toward the things that honor God. We don't need to minimize our separateness, but rather champion it to show people where true satisfaction is found. And finally, then Paul provides himself as an example of all of this. An example of what it means to be a part of this new people committed to the work of God. He says, I will not grumble. My mouth will not be used for grumbling, friends. I will not be consumed with bitterness, even though this may not have been exactly the life that I would have chosen. I will choose rather to be grateful I will choose to rejoice, he says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering, verse 17, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I will rejoice with you all. And likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice. I will choose to be grateful because I know what God has done for me. I know what he's doing within me now. I will rejoice in this moment and I will rejoice in your faithfulness as I know that the the work of God is continuing in you. Even in my absence, the gospel will go forth, and I pray that you will rejoice in my faithfulness even if it costs me my life. We're not going to grumble. We're going to be grateful because the work of God is worth it. So here's our question this morning. As a church, which people do we look like? Which people do we look like? The Old Testament people of God or the New Testament people of God? Which people do you look like? Because even though this is a challenge to the whole church, we're comprised of individuals. And so individually, we have to have this commitment if we're going to be committed to it as a body. Do you feel the weight of obedience? Leading you to disobedience? Are you striving with all your might to please God, trying to obey these rules, not because you long to, but because you think you have to? You're going to burn out. You're going to collapse under that. Come to Jesus. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Are you grumble? Are you grumbler? Do you grumble all the time? Are you divisive in the church? That's not fruit of the Spirit, friends. That's not working out what God is working in. Or do you feel compelled to bring out what God is already doing within you? Do you be, are you compelled to be grateful? Are you compelled to be a unifier in the gospel? Are you compelled to be more like Christ because of your love? for Christ. As the people of God, at first Baptist Church of Irving, let's strive with everything we have to be this kind of new people, a transformed people. Let's never lose sight of the miraculous salvation that God has given us in Jesus. And then let's commit to work out what God has worked in. Let's put the effort in, guys. Let's, let's think about sin the way God thinks about sin. Let's walk in community, and let's strive being devoted to the word of life to be more like Jesus. Let's make the effort. And then let's rejoice. Let's be grateful. Because of what God has done for us and what he will do through us. Can you imagine what God could do through that kind of people? The light he could shine to a world of darkness. The light this world needs. The light of Christ. Wherever you are, would you bow your head? Spend some time before the Lord asking him to help you know how to respond Do you know Jesus? Have you repented and believed in Christ? Is there a desire, a love in your heart for God? That could only be put there by God. If not, all that today would be the day. Or you would confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead so you can be saved, transformed, part of this new people. For the rest of us, who would say we are in Christ? Do you look like it? Is there unconfessed sin in your life that is threatening that desire That you've chosen over and over again, even though you know it dishonors the Lord. I'm gonna ask that you would come up here, maybe get some people to pray over you. We'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front, we'll pray over you. But just come up here and repent and ask the Lord to change your desire, change your will for His. That He would give you the strength the power of the gospel, to choose what honors him. And you're going to commit to work it out. To honor him, not in your own strength, not for your glory, but for his. And then may we rejoice today, friends. After the example of Christ, Let's commit today not to be grumblers, but to be grateful. Remembering what God has done for us in Jesus. Father, would you help us today to know how to respond. God, I'm praying for true freedom today. Not just outward freedom, but inward freedom that works itself out because of the work of Jesus. Would you set us free? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads.